Hello and welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father and I as we discuss relevant and meaningful ideas and values inspired by the weekly Torah portion. Our goal is to open our discussion to you in the hopes that it will give you something to think and reflect on, as well as be another interesting conversation that you can have with your family, friends, and peers. So let's delve right in. Hello and welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about desire. What is up with desire? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Why do we have it? What's the Torah's perspective on desire? I feel like there's so much um, bias when it comes to discussing desire. Why is that? What do you mean bias? Like we always talk about like the, the evil, evil inclination is usually linked to desire. I feel like when people are like, when you want things or, you know, Adam and Chava, there's like this kind of like evil desire to have what you can't. And I feel like desire is also viewed a lot in the terms of illicit relationships or inappropriate um, sexual conduct. Like desire is just like a big it's a big thing, and I feel like it's a very loaded concept. So I'm curious to hear what your take on it is. So are are you saying that of knowledge? Like, in other words, you know that um, a large part of civilization believes that desire is bad; it's evil. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it comes with a really big comes with a bad rap. Do you know you know where that comes from? I think it comes from Christianity. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. Like this, the like the movement of separating yourself from want and desire because it's a very base human. Um, I guess a very base human trait to want and to desire, and desire leads to sin. I feel like it's a very Christian concept, but I feel like that's. I'm saying whether it started with the Christians or not, it definitely leaked into the Jewish circles as well. well how do you mean that? I think a lot of people will. We we bring this up a couple times, but I think it, we see a lot that people um, spurn wanting things. It's not good to want. It's not good to to. Um, yeah, it's not good to desire. I feel like a lot of there. There's a lot of. Um, negative views on i don't know i i'm not going to not going to call it just sexual desire but i feel like there's this thing of like desire is equal to the yetzer hara i feel like that's a message that i've picked up a lot in the jewish circles especially in the more um right-winged orthodox circles um yeah and I'm just curious. I'm saying to me, desire isn't, I'm saying desire is a huge pusher of action and it's what inspires us to do things. As human beings, we only do things because of the way we want to feel or the way we don't want to feel. Like desire is a huge part of what motivates us to do anything. Isn't there that very known midrash where the Chachamim tried to take away the Yitzhar Hara? Um, and then, like, even the chickens stopped laying eggs and the world was just static because no one, there was no desire for anything. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm coming from. So what does that tell you? That it's good or bad? 
I think it's necessary. I don't think it's good or bad. It's just, it's necessary. It is. And I think that just like everything else, mm -hmm. there are ways to, to manifest or manipulate or um, to put the, the intention behind it is what's really going to make make it something that connects or disconnects it's like we were talking that one of those first podcasts that instead of saying some if something is good or bad you can kind of reframe it in the context of something being something that connects or something that disconnects mm -hmm. with the understanding that everything that is that connects you to god is good and everything that disconnects you to god is inherently not good so desirous thoughts that uh, let's say desirous thoughts to do evil or desirous thoughts to connect to things that are sinful versus desirous thoughts to do other things that aren't sinful. Is there anything particularly evil about desiring them? Or are you just saying that's the natural course of things? I think it is natural for humans to desire. Do you eat something if you don't desire it? Right, no. Saying everything we do is is fueled by desire. Exactly. So I, I don't. So I that's don't... a good segue to start the conversation because this week's parsha re reading, we have a big, a long story that ubiquitously starts with this idea of desire, and it goes for a while and it meanders around different, a lot of different issues, but it kind of ends with the burial of desire. <laughs> it's a very interesting idea. It's like um, it says there were parts of the people after, uh, you know, some the, probably we could say the crescendo of the existence of the people in the, you know, the, the, the Israelites in the desert. And they have this amazing crescendo. They're going towards Israel, etc., already with the tabernacle. And then people start complaining. Things really take a downturn after that. But I just want to focus on the expression. It says um, that there was a part of the people, they desired a desire. It's like, I want to want. Exactly. So that way of describing that those words is actually one of the points we want to make. Wanting to want. Um but it's not exactly the way it's translated um, in the official translation. As the Targum Unkla says, they had a request. They had a burning request, a, you know, a strong request. And they start desiring the eating of meat, which clearly was missing for them in the desert. And they say, we remember the fish that we ate in Mitzrayim, in, the cucumbers. in Egypt, for nothing. So that opening statement is like very strange. It's also strange because they say, we remember the fish that we, asher nochal, literally means that we will eat, even though they were talking about the past. It should be, that we ate, in Egypt for free, but no chal. Some grammarians will say it still makes sense, but it's it's not a, it's it's not the preferable way of describing what you're talking about when you're talking about the past. That's not the verb form you should be using. So that's also strange. And first of all, who's when do we see they're eating fish? 
let's just say that they were eating fish. I mean, it was very... Slave lever and fish buffet. Yeah, they were eating fish and <laughs> chips over there. But then they say they were eating very basic things like plants. Not plants, like vegetables. They didn't say they had like big dinners. They just said they had fish. All right, whatever. We don't have to, I guess, second guess them, even though you'll find in some sources that will say that, you know, they could barely eat. Uh, they were slaves. And where did they get the fish from? Were they like taking it out of the Nile on their own? All right, maybe. Who knows? In any case, after that, um, it says that they were complaining because their existence in the desert just meant eating the manna, eating the man. Um, and then it says a strange thing that after Moshe hears their their whole complaint about you know they just they just have this boring food here. Um, Moshe hears them that they're crying amongst their families, and Moshe couldn't. Moshe just like lost it. I mean, he says uh, he just really saw this as a very a harbinger for like the total going in the wrong course. And Moshe basically says to God, he says, um, why did you put me in charge of this nation? I never gave birth to this nation. That you should tell me like I need to carry them like a child all the way to the land. Where am I going to get meat to feed this feed this whole people? I can't do it alone. And he's like so dis- dis- despondent. He says like, if you think that I can't be the leader for this people in this way, so it's better that you kill me. I don't want to see the evil that this is all going to lead to. Why does Moshe get so despondent and desperate here? Like he was, he, he was able to stand up to much greater, it seems, much greater challenges before um, this happened. And even after this happened as well, the spies and the Egel HaZahav, Golden Calf, and Moshe is very, very brave and courageous to intercede for the people. And here, there's just like, some gripes about the food. Imagine you're like, running. That's in a, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> imagine you're running. I'm imagining myself running in a school, and then like you know, I've heard plenty of complaints about food and plenty of complaints about other things. And when you get complaints about teachers and you know your business education and some serious problems with students and interactions, you know, this like things can get pretty pretty uh difficult but if somebody complains about the food it's not one of the things that's like really big up there as far as like really making you want to throw in the towel so why does that uh why does that get moshe so much um also um it says that after it seems to be after a while they get after a while they they get granted that what they want um it says that um, miraculously in the desert there flew in these quails. Some say that these quails were actually somewhat indigenous of um, some. Some say they're they're actually indigenous to the desert. That there are these like low flying birds that you can find somewhere in, like, in the uh, Sahara Rabbi Desert. Right? Yeah, like I think he. Little... He, he was the one who showed that? Yeah, he had a, he had a little, places. what he thought was a slug in a Yeah, those little round little birds. Bird. Yeah, small, like, uh, cute. <laughs> the angry birds birds. <laughs> yeah. Little fat, short, plump birds. Um, but in any case, however they get the birds, 
the birds, it's, it, 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 God, it's, it's orchestrating this thing in the Torah, right? It's, so the birds fly in, and there's like hundreds and thousands of them. And the people gather the birds, and they eat them. And then the first wave of bird-eating, you know, uh, desirous people eat the, eat the, and then there's a plague. They eat the birds, they eat the meat, they, there's a plague, and, they, and they, a lot of them die. And it says that place was called Kivrot Hata'ava, where they were buried. They buried the metavim, the people that desired. And that was the burial of the, literally, the kivrot atava, the burials of the pleasure. That was, that was where desire was buried. It's interesting, no? It's like yeah. very, it's a fascinating thing. If you go back to, just one more thing, go back to the beginning of the first time in the Torah that this word is described, is the desirous look that um, the Chava, first woman, looks on the tree, looks at the fruit, right? The, the snake has already convinced her that, uh, you know, this. there's something more in this tree that you're not getting if you just, if you decide to, um, if you decide to um, abstain from eating it. If you decide to eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God's. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And it's interesting because he says, your eyes will open. And the word associated with what happens um, to her eyes is actually this word, desire. Really? Yeah. It says, and the woman saw that this, this tree was good to eat. Right? She saw that the, that the tree was good to eat. And it was also pleasurable or desirous to the eyes. And the tree was pleasant to appreciate it and to, to like understand it, literally. She took from the, its fruit and she ate it. And that's the beginning and end of history right, right there. But basically... Talking about desire and and eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Desirous eyes. And it's interesting because um, the, the official translation of the word ta'ava over here and over here actually just described differently. They're translated in different words. Asehu le'inayim is interesting because asay, I believe, in Aramaic is like a, an elixir to the eyes. Like a healing? Yeah, like a assay is a is a healing elixir to the eyes. So that's um that's like the opening of the eyes in uh, to to the first woman. So so what is desire exactly? How is desire being portrayed? You know, it's it's being discussed openly as something that um, almost you know, disrupts the whole, some argue say and say that it actually does disrupt the entire projection, the trajectory of the people towards the land of Israel. This was like the, really the beginning of the end of that generation. That generation ends up not making it into the land of Israel mm -hmm. because one thing leads to another, which leads to another, which is basically the next portion that we read next week, which is already the sin of the spies. 
and that keeps them out of Israel, that entire generation, for almost 40 years. So you're talking about, if you want to um, take this, like uh, put this really up in cent- up front and center, it's, it's saying like the, that the, the ill-desired desire, or the ill-fated desire of these people is what really did them in. I think it's key to say that the ill the ill-fitted desire because if, if if they would have had desire to enter into the land of Israel I don't think it would have been like you know that's a horrible thing <laughs> how could you desire to be in the land of Israel it's like also every time we, oh, we wait, bench wait, like the, Eretz Chefetz Chemda well Eretz Chefetz also Eretz Chefetz like the, the land that you that you desire right but but it doesn't say here that they desire the land Right, so we're talking about the fact that they desired something that was leading to disconnection. I'm saying we're talking about them um, complaining about Mun, which was miraculous, God-given. It was, it was considered, I think, the way we best understand Mun as a connector was the understanding that you rely on God, even for your food. It's every day looking up and, and saying, God is my provider. So if you start if you start complaining about that because you desire something else, then clearly that desire isn't bringing you closer because the ultimate connection is right there. Ultimately, you're connecting to God as your provider. But if you're saying I I can't I just I want to hunt birds and feel like I'm providing for my own food and eat something that you know looks different and tastes different. Be- there's, there's no, it doesn't seem to me at least that there's any um, desire to connect behind a complaint like that. You're saying that they, by desiring at this point, it was, a, it, was a, it was a way towards disconnection. Yeah, I would say that this desire is essentially disconnection. It's not a way towards, but it was. I don't see how there was connection there. Hmm. So it's interesting because the same, like I said, the same word for the desire in a different context, like in the, in the desire of the first of Chava, the first woman. So that desire is actually seen as kilorin. Tava is, is like asi. Asay is um, like Asya. Did you ever hear that journal called Asya? It's a, it's no. a medical journal. Because Asya in Aramaic means um, remedy. You know, it's uh, healthy or like an elixir for the eyes. So she saw the tree as a like, as like a, a like a remedy. I don't know how to say that. Like, you know, wonderful for the eyes, like good for your eyes. You know, nourishing for your eyes, healthy for your eyes. Mm-hmm. And that was the word for ta'avahu la'inayim, something satisfying. Just to be able to look at it. Um, so, I think what what perhaps what we can put together over here is that um, desire is the obviously the precursor for any action. Nobody does things unless they desire at some level. It's like the big motivational crisis. It's we, like we can agree to that, though, right? Yeah, I agree. Okay, so in philosophy, there is a there is a discussion about what desire is. Is desire, is it like an action-based theory of desire or is it just a pleasure-based 
theory of desire, right? Those that say action-based will always say that desire is just basically a precursor to action in one way or another. It's just like the precursor for action. Mm-hmm. Because we, like we discussed, people will not act unless they desire something, right? right? On the other hand, the, those that disagree primarily disagree because they say that you find that there is desire even though the person knows that they'll never put it into action. Meaning like dreaming of something that you know you're never going to get? Right. Or just dreaming something that you know you're never going to do. Like those people who are like, wow, I always wanted to go bungee jumping. Yeah. They, but they, they, they're not going to do it. It borders on fantasy, but it's still, it's still called desire. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I don't is, see the... So what is that? I don't see the the conflict there something could be the motivator for action but it doesn't mean that it's always going to create action because there are other things that might ha- we might have a bigger desire for you could have a, a desire for adventure and doing something extreme and different which is why you want to do bungee jumping but your desire to feel safe is bigger than your desire to feel adrenaline so in that case you have conflicting desires and your desire to be safe is, is greater so you won't act on your desire to jump off a bridge. So you're saying really desire is always an action-based theory of desire. I think so. I don't think anything is done without... It's just that you won't do it because you have a desire to do the contrary. Right. Which is to stay safe. I don't think the contrary of adrenaline is safety, but yeah. Well, whatever. When it's you're... a contradiction to something that you want that you desire something else. But could you really desire something that you know you're not going to do? Because you know that your desire is to not jump off of... I mean, you just know you're not going to do it. What do you desire about doing bungee jumping if you know you're not going to do it? Is there is there a person out there that desires doing it if they really know they're not going to do it? For sure. For sure. And I think that's a good question because that's that's a question that invites the person to think more than just the experience. Sometimes people really do just want experiences, but for the people who really want just experience, who are really desirous of experience, those are the people that go jump off bridges. But for a lot of people, the desire to go bungee jumping is really the desire to try something new. So in their mind, bungee jumping would be a great opportunity to try something new and different and exciting. But they're also, they're not sold on bungee jumping. They might want to maybe trying a milkshake that they've never tried is also, it's like new and it's different. And that, that also works. Well, we're getting into a lot of philosophical realms, which, which we're gonna, not going to be able to spend that much time on. But the, the point is, what, let's try to keep it to this episode. What, what do you think gets Moshe Rabbeinu just like derailed here? Like this is, not, this is more than he can handle. And it seems to be, that the theory, to me anyway, it seems to me that um, it's because it's about their desire. They desire eat to eat meat, and and Moshe says like, "What am I, their mother? Like I didn't sign up for this. I'm, what, what what am I like? What is that? What does that mean? Like, so so if they don't have meat, they don't have meat. So he said, Moshe Rabbeinu could have said, "Look, they just they don't have meat." So he could have just told them, "Look, you're in the desert. I don't know if you noticed." But like in a desert, 
it's very not so, it's not so plentiful <laughs> not so plentiful to be able to find meat out here so you know just bury that idea forget about it wouldn't necessarily say bury the pleasure i mean if people say oh we desire meat so okay i hear that if your child said you know i want a steak it's and you, and you know you can't afford the steak so you'd say like uh well that's bad like i can't handle you anymore like i quit this is too much son <laughs> like oh no i'm gonna have to provide you with steak forever like which is kind of what moshe says like this is an like moshe sees like an unending desire here that's like totally non not satiable I think it's bigger than that. I think if you look at all the times where Moshe um, intervenes on behalf of the Jewish people because of what they're what because of something that they did wrong or something that you know is wasn't wasn't right of them to do. I think let's say if you take Egel as a hub, I think that behind the Egel there was the con- there was the desire to connect. There was the desire to be close to God. So Moshe says, "Don't kill them." You know they they. They wanted to connect to you. They just don't know any better. So, so you know, help them. Don't, don't, tur- don't turn your back on them. Teach them. Help them. Give them another chance. When it comes to them, I don't know, you got the water. I don't know. Actually, the water to me sounds very similar to the meat problem. So I don't see why. Well, maybe water is more essential. Maybe that comes from a real need. Okay, maybe. But I was kind of thinking more on like the track of when it comes to, again, the intention behind the desire, if the desire is to connect, then Moshe, as the leader, can, I think, feels like he has what to offer in that sense. So what is a person that desires these things connecting to? I mean, they're connecting to something. Well, what, are, what are they thinking when they desire these things? It could be this is what you're leading to, but, I mean, I'm sure this is what you're leading to, but basically, just to follow it up, it seems to be that what makes Moshe so despondent is that a little bit of the more of the questions that we uh, spoke of before, they're dreaming about things. I mean, they're dreaming. First of all, they're dreaming about the past. So that's already like a bad sign. Like, oh, wish we could like recreate what we had in the past. And what they had in the past, in the overall context, was pretty bad. So it's like somebody saying, oh. I wish we could go back to the concentration camps because there we had these like awesome pair of dice that we like carved out of human bones and we used to play with them and it was like so awesome. Like would anybody in the right mind says it should, you'd think that they were psychotic, mm-hmm. right? So it's a little psychotic to start talking, to start dreaming about a context that was like horrible and, you know, in slavery because you had, what did you have? there comfort like a certain sense of of uh predictability maybe mm-hmm. right but but you're going you're you're dreaming back to a time where like i said a lot of people a lot of commentaries say what, what kind of fish are we talking about exactly that they're eating you know if, if after that they're dreaming about eating onions i mean you know what what, what are we talking we're not talking about delicacies so what is it that they're dreaming about that they're you know pining that they had now it's so interesting it's i keep mentioning Brene brown in almost a lot of podcasts at this point but um she mentions that it's very interesting that what you're saying nostalgia 
like this, like the, the, the good old days and thinking about the past in a way that is a little bit distorted um, is actually considered a form of disengagement. Um, and I'm just going to say disconnection for the purposes here, but like, you know, disconnecting to where you are now, disconnecting with what happened and kind of creating this idealized, the good old days, what, you know, the, the dice that we had, like very off not at all connected to reality or to what it was or no, well not connected to it's not forward thinking i mean literally yeah, but sure. it's also no, but... it's also i mean literally of course but it's also not it's not helping you now mm-hmm. this is kind of just a way of, of like escaping escape, right right what you need to do and saying oh things are so much better you know when people say that you know i remember being as a principal people coming in and saying Oh, you know, the, the first two years of the school were so awesome. And, I, and I'm like thinking, like, that's not true. I mean, <laughs> Those sucked. <laughs> first two years of school were not awesome. We, we were missing a lot of things and the school was really not on its feet. Mm-hmm. And um, but this it was this it was the way that this person decided to, to choose to complain. Because what they're doing to you is they're taking you out of the context of what can we do about the issue right here, right now. Let's really work at it. Mm-hmm. And deal with it and see what we can both do together for this problem. And let's go back to a place where nobody can say anything about it because it will be just more like me, me with the problem trying to tell you that you don't know what you're doing. And kind of like shaming you into some kind of a position of where you're just going to do what I want, which I haven't really told you yet. But I just want you to look at me and say... You're in the right and I'm in the wrong. That, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's so, t- total disengagement. Yeah. Where I'm not going to deal with what's going on now. Right. I know. I, I could say I'm guilty of that. Um, sometimes you just do that and think, oh, you know, it happens a lot. We just like, oh, uh, and a lot of times the people are around you, like they don't even appreciate what you're reminiscing about. Um, especially if they have this, have this feeling that you're hinting at something that um, was was the way it should be and that now it's not the way it should be and you're looking at somebody and they're saying like well what do you want me to do about that Mm -hmm. that's why young people hate when old people reminisce about the good old days and how people used to talk to each other yeah and like how you know healthy and uh robust and uh you know uh good things were you know like you know and uh People used to work for a living, you know, whatever. You hear these lines, but basically, it really doesn't help the situation at hand. Mm. If you have something to bring from the past to learn from and to share, that's another thing. But just to say that, you know, kids, rightfully so, just really detest, you know, they despise having to be the passive getting like passive aggressed so to speak like but it's true because when you hear someone say about how good things were now with the understanding that things now aren't good meaning they were good before sorry and now they are not good and if only there's the person who hears is left helpless because then there's nothing i can do for you so going i feel like back to the moshe thing moshe's like (laughs) what what do you want from me like god took you out of egypt we almost died miracles happened we are living the, the divine presence of god every day life is pretty epic right now and you guys are being like there's it's not enough yeah. it's not enough and 
And they're presenting a problem that I feel like Moshe as a leader is saying, I can't help you because you're not even, you're not presenting a solution here. There's not like, it's that disengagement of like, those were the days. And, and then the other person listening is like, well, then what do you, right. what do you want me to do about it? Right. So to wrap up this idea, I think what we're saying is that the, the, the philosophical explanation of desire, which is a pleasure-based desire, is is actually a different way of thinking about desire in which it's not really action based. So what it so what it actually is is a way of almost putting everything in um, in par- paralysis mode. You're paralyzing the situation. It's not forward thinking, forward moving at all, right? So when Moshe hears them say, "Oh." We remember the fish that we will eat, right? The, again, the, the, that idea of like why they're using the verb of plural of a future, which is we should really be past, is that when, when people fantasize, they're almost like tasting the fantasy in the future. Like, oh, we will, like, you know, they're projecting like what they had in the past, which is not rep- to be able, able to replicate now. It's almost as if like they're tasting it now, right? That we're eating it. And um, I think Moshe throws up his hands because he says, look, you know, th- this, there's not much you can do with like hedonistic tendencies. A hedonistic tendency is just like pleasure for the sake of pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's like, it's pleasure for the sake of fantasy almost. It's just like, I want to live in an, in an ulterior world. You know, I want to live in a, an alternate world. I want to live in a, uh, in a fantasy world. <clears throat> it's not connected to reality. And when people get that way, um, there's very little you can do except like send them to a shrink. And and Moshe says, Look, I'm not I you know, I don't I'm not I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> he says, like, even if I would want to to fulfill God, their fantasies by making them try to feel that like God uh, has no limit to what he can provide for you, um, I don't see the end of this. Today it's going to be this. Tomorrow it's going to be that. It's, it's, today it's meat. Tomorrow then it's who knows what, right? And that's why I think Chazal, when it says, you know, they were crying amongst their families, the rabbis say crying amongst their families, they were crying about mitzvahs that deterred them from actualizing their fantasies, which are the incestuous relationships. So Bocha the Mishbechosav is a reference to incestuous relationships, which hmm. they had gotten at Sinai. Um, that the, now all of a sudden there are you know these not all relationships are good, some relationships that you might desire but they are totally off limits. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it basically basically what they're trying to do is they see in this whole episode kind of like a uh, a return to a fantastical desirous type of thinking which is very destructive, and it encompasses many many areas of life, and therefore. Um, the end of this episode was not happy. They get their desires fulfilled. This like semi-miraculous, let's say, you know, bird uh, uh, invasion. <laughs> it's raining angry birds. birds. Angry, just imagine the angry birds because they're like getting, you know, they're like flowing. You don't just catch birds if you're living in the desert. They have to be flying really low. So you like just take out a sack and like grab a whole bunch of them. As Taurus says, they were like, like really capturing bunches and bunches and eating and like having like all this like really huge 
a party of um, of slav of quails, and um, it was unconscionable. It was like totally off the projection, and and these people died of a of a it turns out of a of a uh, plague, and they were buried there, and that was the place that they buried the pleasure. That's where they buried the the desire, right? In other words, seemingly that they learned the lesson of like pleasure for you know desire for pleasure's sake is um leads to nothing it only leads to um disconnection from reality right so so one second so just to, to bring bring the points back and to make everything a bit maybe more clear so then we're establishing then that there does exist these two desires there's there's desire that motivates and that brings that brings you forward and there's the desire that you're calling the the, the pleasure desire or the hedonistic desire which is the desire for pleasure's sake, which that doesn't lead forward. A lot of the times it's paralyzing, it's, it's disconnecting. It's it, fantastical. It's fantastical. Um, and that in this case, the Jewish people were displaying a desire just for pleasure's sake, which was disconnecting to everything. Right now, it's, it, it distorted the past. Moshe is like, this is just going to be the beginning of many bad hedonistic acts, and that's going to crumple society. Um, and so, for if if that's where the the direction of this nation is going, then I want out. I want nothing to do with this because this is just going to go downhill from here. Right, and it's interesting is that what God's lesson to Moshe seems to be, interestingly enough, is like we we side with Moshe, but then Hashem says Hayadashem Tikzar. Says, you know, do you think the hand of God is uh, somewhat limited? I'll, you, you'll, like, I'll show you, you know. And basically, what that message is is that God brings them whatever they want, and ultimately, they, they, that leads to their own demise. Which basically says, don't you don't have to be afraid, or bow out of situations like this. You have to have to let them flow, to their, uh, to and meet their own consequences. Mm. Wow, there's so much to say about that. <laughs> you understand? So it was God, the, the the real teacher, is teaching Moshe, and ultimately the, the people who are, who are in this situation or maybe weren't cognizant of this, that that you were going to follow your desires that are totally detached from reality that will ultimately uh, have you meet your own demise much mm-hmm. sooner than you thought. Right? Because you can, you can only live so much, you know, totally disconnected. And they were being totally disconnected. I mean, they're living in the desert. And they're eating, you know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you're having a, a, a three-course dinner in the middle of the day. You know, there's some, you're totally, it's it's disconnected mm-hmm. from your reality, which is, that that figure is basically the way they were thinking. Um, that's what it's trying to make you understand. That that their, their whole reality that they obviously were having a hard time swallowing, you know, figuratively speaking, of course, but was basically that these strictures and this idea of being a chosen people and doing certain things and being limited is is for your own good. And if you chose if you choose fantastical thinking and and you only in your greatest fantasies you could actually fulfill them, but you're living constantly fed with those fantasies, um, even if you get them fulfilled, you'll see that those aren't the things 
that really are good for you that you you know you that you so much so so to speak desire fantastically in your mind mm-hmm. those aren't the things that are actually going to get you anywhere they're going to actually lead to your own demise right hmm. so um so yes desire is absolutely necessary for human action um desire itself is neutral it's what you call let's say the eight sahara it's what we desire it's interesting though. Why is it called the Yitzhahara for saying that it's neutral? Yitzhahara is always associated with like not good. It's true. Um, the the tendency unchecked is that it it's Yitzhahara doesn't necessarily mean evil the way we say evil. It's just the Yitzhahara means the inclination to that makes us weak in a sense. I mean the fact that we have to the Let's say a person. Let's say a person just wants to eat something, right? So the necessity in our mind, or not, not the necessity, but the tendency that we have in our mind to like overstimulate ourselves with what we're going to eat, instead of just realizing that what I need to eat is because I need to eat to be healthy. So I'll just right. That creates ra in the sense, right? That creates like instability, right? Because then you're out. Then you're already going into no man's land because, in in the in the strict sense of you know living and flourishing, you a person should just do what's necessary, and then focus on what's important, right? So they should eat to survive, right? But eating, you know, with all the projections that we make of like, well, if I make this move and that move, I put a little mustard and all this, and it's going to be delicious, and it's going to be. And it's going to be this, and it's going to be that. Like all of the castles in the sky that we make, when we do pleasures, or we engage in pleasures, are are not necessary, right? They're not necessary. They're, they're, they only lead to a conflagration. They lead to like a like a, to a uh, exaggeration of the reality. Usually, they're more fantastical, even though we're even though we're desiring something that we need to do. Or that could be good to do, but I, I I'm struggling with that because there also is this concept of, of enjoyment that God does give us. Enjoy the world, but but, but eat if you a put breakfast those... that has things that you need to survive, but also things that will lead you to be appreciative. You have blueberries and the nuts and the sugar and the thing, yeah, and you make but, a delicious but, breakfast. That I think that's also it's wonderful. It's wonderful, but uh, the desire isn't so wonderful. That's that's the point. The desire for all of those things, if it's really, really for what it is for, which is the, like a person's looking for essentially a way to appreciate God's world. It's it's a real avoda. It's it's not simple to be able to keep yourself on task and say that I really want all those things so that I can. If it because if it really looked like what a person is kind of convincing himself that it's about it wouldn't look like that it would look a little bit more simple it wouldn't be so fantastic a person could have greater appreciation by making his life more fantastic so to speak but it's harder to hold on to because the, the distractions are greater mm-hmm. once you get past the, the original flavor then it's just like more we all know that if we're talking about food to make it delicious, it could be just very simple. But we like adding things because we think it's going to be more, even more delicious. And this could be even more. And I can get more, you know, satisfaction and delight out of it being this way and that way. And it's like, in the end, it's like 80% kind of fantasy and like 20%, you know, delicious. And something that <laughs> is going to 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, the whole industry of food and the way we think about food as an example, with what we're talking about, it's not obviously the only example, but it's this thing of overdoing it when it comes to desire. We let our desires kind of move us from doing something that's necessary into something that's fantastical, which is something we try to control. Uh, like Chava, you know, Chava in the beginning of time says, Tava hula, you know, the Torah says, Tava I mean, she looked at the first fruit and she said, and she thought, or it came to her that this was a Tava Hulainaim. This is like an elixir to the eyes. It's like, just what does that even mean? I mean, is that like you desire it, so it makes it, it's like almost like. You create the, the hole, you create the need, you know, you create the, the absence, the emptiness, and you fill it. That's ultimately what desire is. The desire is you're creating the, the empty, you're creating the, the empty vessel, and you're now going to need to fill it, right? But the person without desire wouldn't feel that they had a need. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't feel that they have. Notice desire is definitely human. It's, it shows humans, human needs, human imperfection. But that's okay. We can get along and with that. And human greatness. He like went straight into like it. It shows human imperfection. But I think it people like people who created such wonderful medical inventions and improvements to lives came from a desire to improve life, to do good. To I don't want people to die because they have a cough. No, it's true. I don't. I'm not. You see, I now we're, we're getting a little bit too. We're getting more. We're getting deeper than I think we're going to be able to chew off right now. Because now we're talking about um, the desire of desire. Like, what is, why, why do we need to desire, really? Sometimes we have a desire just to desire. In other words, we, we need to desire things. Right? Because if you, if you don't desire, you have no ambition. You're apathetic. Right. So, so sometimes when a person is like feeling apathetic so then they'll 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 just look they need they already the the human psyche says you need to do something with yourself like otherwise you have no purpose so get in get a desire to do something you need to desire something right and then okay but i'm just saying that like we're i think we're getting in too deep but this is like has a lot to do with the purity of thought that we need that we're looking for, that we're aspiring for. And when you're talking about the purity of thought, you usually, um, if you're willing to examine it, you, you, you will be probably able to see, um, I think we'll be able to agree on it, that, that desire is very much um, out of control. Most of the time it's out of control. And that if a person is, starts with the focus of the purpose and then desires, so then the purpose creates the desire, then the desire is there to fulfill the purpose, but not the other way around. It's not that the, per- the desire starts first. That would be the first. best constructive way to use desire. Right. I'll just end off with that because I have to go, but I'll end off with um, that story of the, the, the Satma Rebbe was, was sitting uh, in his tish. On sh- it was in a place where all the Hasidim gather around on Friday nights. Right. And they used to have a, a custom where they would bring in a, a, like a pyramid of apples. And the top apple, 
and they would give it to the Rebbe, and the, and the Rebbe would make a bracha, he would make a blessing on it, and everybody would say amen, and then everybody would get an apple. So he looked at the, they brought in the apples, and he looked at, to the fellow next to him who was his, like, it was his, uh, you know, his student and whatever, whoever it was, Shamash. And he looked at him, he says, you know, I think you should be the one to, you know, to, I'll honor you making the bracha. So he takes it, he makes, you know, a bracha out loud, you know, a very long-winded bracha, sure, right, everybody says amen. And, um, and after he finishes and everything settles down, he looks at him, he says, you know, he says, there's two types of people in the world. He says, there's a person who looks at a fruit and says, that fruit looks delicious, but I need to make a bracha. And then there's a person who thinks, wakes up in the morning and says, I want to say a bracha. How could I say a bracha? Maybe on this fruit. There's two approaches to desire. Do you desire because of the goodness that you want to express? Or do you desire to desire, but since you want to make sure that the desire doesn't get out of hand, so you're going to desire, you're going to control the desire by by uh, manifesting it in something that's good, hopefully, right? Or acceptably good. You lost me with that last part. Two types of desire. There's the desire that is for pleasure's sake, and you're calling that desire to desire? I'm saying, where does, this start? where does desire start? Right? So if a person is, has a desire to do good, right? His desire comes for goodness. Mm-hmm. So then his desire for other worldly things will be to fulfill the desire to do good. Right? And then you'll find that those desires are usually not, you know, they don't get fantastical. Because they have to do with doing good. Right? They have to do with serving a purpose. Whereas if the person starts with a desire like, I'm hungry. You know, I, I'm, I'm imagining that delicious apple that I saw a million images in my life. Or I'm imagining the delicious hamburger, you know, and I'm associating a million things. I'm like, and now I'm following my desires to get to that delicious, juicy hamburger. Now that I have the hamburger, I can like be appreciative that I have it and I'll say a blessing and whatever, but it's not what got me here. Mm-hmm. So, right? So it depends which follows what. what. Whose lead is the desire following? Is it the desire to desire or is it really the desire to do good? Mm-hmm. So you're making it into the group. You're, you're just, to make it simple, you're just making it into desire that stems from purpose from good from connection right. and there's a desire that is very human very i guess you would call it more more basic more instinctive more human which is just the fact that we want to feel pleasure we want to we mm-hmm. want good things mm-hmm. and there's and then once you engage in that kind of desire it most it leads a lot to fantastical desire desires that right. are not connected to reality disconnected right interesting there's so much to say but we don't yeah. have time Okay, let's continue. We can finish this a different time. Write in your thoughts or comments or whatever. We'd love to hear your thoughts on desire. And with that, goodbye. Goodbye. And that's a wrap, my friends. We hope that our conversation inspired you and gave you something to chew on. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, topics you'd be interested in discussing, 
and even triggers so we can generate more relevant and meaningful conversation. You can contact us at fdhp.feedback at gmail.com. And we are wishing you a blessed week, and we'll catch you next time.